All right. Well, y'all, it's great to have everyone here tonight at Awaken. If it's your first time, we're excited that you're here. My name is Merrick. If I haven't gotten a chance to meet you, I'm the college pastor here. Would love to get an opportunity to be able to do that. Um, if you haven't been around here, we are going through the book of 1 Peter. So I'd ask if you have a Bible with you, and I hope you do, to turn to the book of 1 Peter as we're going to continue um, in our series through 1 Peter where we're talking about the narrow path, which is every Christian's calling. And y'all, if you weren't here on Sunday, you didn't see Austin actually got baptized this last Sunday. And one of the things that we're trying to be a lot better at is recording people's stories and, and letting people share their own stories. Because y'all, there's power in people's testimonies. There's power in people's stories. And really, it's interesting that Austin's story is what it is, and it coincides with what I'm preaching on tonight. Because um, really, it's up the same alley. I love the way he ended by giving this charge of, of saying, hey, you need to be... Christ for someone. You need to live in such a way that, that people who don't know Christ will be attracted to the way that you live for Christ. And you need to reach out to people. And the reason that I think that's really, really interesting is what we're going to be turning to tonight is, is really the value and the worth of how we live. Like the value that our decisions make and the worth that our decisions make on other people's lives. Maybe you've heard this before, but, but so often I've heard people talk about how they don't want to be a Christian because of some Christian that they knew. I remember I had several friends whenever I was in college. I used to try and get them to come and be a part of our church. And I had one guy who said, you know what? I grew up in a Christian school, was around a lot of people who said they were Christians. They didn't really live like me, so I'm not really about that. And I'm sure you've probably heard that before as well. Whenever Emily and I, Emily's my wife, we lived in North Carolina. She actually nannied uh, for this couple. And, and the mom there, she started having conversations with her about Christ. And we knew it was very obvious that they weren't believers. And as she got to talk with her about Christ, basically what the lady said is that she did not want to step inside of a church anymore because of a bad experience she'd have with Christians as a younger kid or as a younger person. And y'all, what I want you to see tonight is that your life carries so much weight if you say you're a follower of Jesus, the way you live has tremendous repercussions for the people that are around you. And what we're going to see tonight is 1 Peter last week. We talked about this in, in chapter 2, verse 11. If you want to be there, we'll go ahead and start there. And last week we talked about this specifically. Chapter 2, verse 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Now, if you haven't been here, Peter is writing a letter to this group of people who's, who's five different groups of people scattered throughout Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And these people were struggling with persecution, with opposition, with, with slander coming their way. They were being misrepresented. And they were having all these problems. And in verse 9 and 10, Peter encourages them by saying, hey, look, you're the people of God. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession." He has ransomed you. He's bought you back. You are his, and he has you where he has you for a distinct purpose. And then we see really the transition in this letter is the beginning of verse 11, whenever he says, beloved. This is the first time we see Peter talk to them directly. And he says, people whom I love so much. He's, it's almost like he's drawing them in. And last week we saw he wanted to talk to them about the battle of sin and sinful desires. And we saw how he said, look, the battle is serious. This battle is constant. And this battle has incredible consequences on your life. Last week we talked about how, how Peter says it wages war against your own soul. Well, what Peter does now is actually he turns and he goes, I want you to see the consequences of the way you live 
on those who are around you. Look at verse 12. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You know, ultimately tonight, we're going to look at this one question. We're going to look at this one thing that Peter is honing in for them to understand. And it's this. It's does your life bring glory to God? That's the main question. The main concern that Peter has right here is does your life bring glory to God? What's interesting is in the Greek, verse 11 and 12 aren't two separate sentences. They're one sentence. This is one coherent thought of, of sinful desires. They wage war against your own soul, but they have such an effect on those who are around you. And what we're going to see is the way that you answer this question is, does your life bring glory to God? As Peter uses two different questions to answer that. And you don't have to write these down now. He first asks, does your life represent Christ correctly? And secondly, we're going to see he asks, does your life lead others to glorify God? Does it lead others to glorify him? And so what I want to do is I want to break down verse 12 and show you the two main ideas that Peter is giving in verse 12. And then we're going to come back to those questions and answer them afterwards. Let's jump in. First thing, verse 12. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Now, whenever he says the word conduct, he means your lifestyle. It doesn't just mean certain actions. He's saying the way that you live, your manner of life should be honorable. And he says, whenever you're around the Gentiles, the word Gentiles would mean unbelievers, people who don't know Jesus. Keep your conduct or your lifestyle among the Gentiles or non-believers honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So he tells them, he says, guys, look, whenever they speak against you as evildoers, your life needs to say something different about what they're saying. It's interesting. Peter is already addressing them like people are saying bad things about you. People are lying about you. They're saying stuff about you that just isn't true. And that's one of the biggest struggles that the Christians in this region had is they weren't only experiencing opposition. They weren't only experiencing persecution. They were experiencing this in large part because people were telling lies about what the Christian community was about. And so they had a reputation for not being who they really were. Some of those things are this is there were a lot of lies that were spread about them. The first thing is, is many people were saying this is a Jews-only type thing. Early on, many of the early Christians were from Jewish descent. They were Jews. And so many people said, oh, the Christian life is only for people who are of this, this one type of race, these Jews, which wasn't true. Another thing that was spread about them is that they hated Gentiles, which this is very problematic since they lived in a Gentile nation around Gentiles. And it just wasn't true. They, they had no problem with Gentiles. Now, we saw early on there was a struggle, but by the time it got to this area, half of these people were Gentiles anyway. But this was another lie that was being brought out about them. This is really interesting. The Christian community during that day, they were being accused of cannibalism, which you might be like, that's really weird. They were accused of eating people. Well, basically, some people heard whenever they get together, they eat the body of this guy and they drink the blood of this person. And so they're literally eating and drinking people in their meetings. This seems bizarre, but this was widespread. Like they're cannibalists, which we know that that's not true. This is something that Jesus says, whenever you break bread together, do it in remembrance of me. Whenever you drink of the cup together, do it in remembrance of me. Remember, I broke my body for you. I shed my blood for you. Another lie that was, that was being thrown around about them is immorality and incest. You might go, what in the world? How would you get accused of incest? Well, this is a group of people 
who whenever they met, early on it was called the love feast, which might be interesting for us. This word love was agape, unconditional love. And the reason it was called a love feast is they got together to break bread together, but so that they could be a community that was modeled or mirrored by unconditional love like God. Well, the way people twisted that is they said, look, these are love feasts and they call each other brother and sister. And so they're going to these communities and they call themselves brothers and sisters and they're at this love feast. They're sleeping with people that are in their own family, which is completely not true. And y'all, I'm just giving you a few of them. And, and, and what I want you to see is they are, they are up against lies. They're up against people spreading a reputation about them that just wasn't true. And I want you to see what Peter says. He doesn't say, hey, you need to go out there and beat him in the head with something. You need to go and tell him these things. He says, live your life to prove them wrong. He says, the people are spreading lies about you. Live lives that prove those lies to not be true. That's why he says, whenever you live for Christ, do it out so they can see. It's not so they can parade around and say, hey, look at how great a people we are. He's saying your lifestyle should be based on good deeds, which should point people to God. It should show them of their creator. And we're not going to go through all of it, but really, Peter in the next, starting with verse 13, all the way through chapter 3, verse 7, this is what he puts his mind to. He talks specifically about how you should deal with the government where you're at. He talks specifically about, about how you should interact in your workplace. The Roman government was, was employed with 60 million slaves. If you were a doctor, you were a slave of someone. If you were a teacher, you were a slave of someone. You were ill-treated oftentimes. He wants to tell them, look, this is how go and live your life differently in the midst of the hard times. And then in chapter 3, he talks about marriage and submissive aspects of marriage. Whenever specifically if you're married and you're married to a non-believer, what should the wife do? And so he's given them specific instructions on how they should live to change the reputation which they've received. And you can see this in several different spots, most uh, clearly in verse 15. He says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. In short, lies are being passed around about them. And the way they need to change or turn the tide is living in such a way that they prove that this is what they are, their lies. And so how does this even connect to us? How does this uh, uh, really relate to you and me today? Well, the truth is this. There are lies that have gone around about Christians for a while. In America specifically, over the last hundred years specifically, there's one lie that I would call the major lie about Christians. All people that are Christians are hypocrites. Has anybody heard that before? If you're a Christian, you're a hypocrite. Like, that's the reputation, you know. People would say, they say they love people, but they exclude certain groups. They say one thing while they do another thing. These people are out here, and they're no different than me. They're just hypocrites. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not saying that there aren't people who live as hypocrites. But what I'm saying is that is not what Christianity is. That's not what Christ died for. That's not what it means to follow Jesus. And so for you and me, we play a role in this. Think about that. You and I play a role in the reputation of Christianity and Christ in the area in which we live. And I think that's the first point that Peter's trying to make here. This is a little bit longer than normal. But the first point is this. He's saying if you are a follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are an advertisement for what Christianity is all about. Hear that again. If you are a follower of Jesus, I would even say if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, then you are an advertisement for what Christianity is all about. 
I want you to think about advertisements. For most of us, we hate ads, right? If you're in the same boat as me, I mean, we listen to the 30-second video so we don't have to have, you know, ads for the next 30 minutes, right? Or we pay money so we don't have to listen to ads. Ads, we really don't like very often. But if you think about it, ads actually are pretty effective. The other day, Emily sent me to the store, which is always the first problem. I'm the worst at going in with a list. And I still, I remember the first time I went shopping as a college student, I was like, I can buy whatever I want. This is awesome. And then I had no clue what to buy other than ramen noodles. But I, I can remember, you know, I still have that same feeling of like, I've got some money. I can go buy whatever I want to do. So I always come back with some treat. And the good news of once you have kids, you can always say, I got it for the kids, baby. It's for them. And so I came back the other night and I had Reese's. And Emily's like, what? You never buy Reese's. And I was like, I saw an ad today. And it was like zoomed in and they opened up the Easter, I mean, not the Easter egg, the, the, the Halloween egg or whatever it is, this new Reese's cup that they had. And I was like, I got to have a Reese's. Like it was pretty effective. The other night, Emily was actually getting in bed and I'm shutting down everything in the house, turn on the alarm, turn off the TV, all this stuff. And I walk to the back and I go, babe, I just want you to hear this. She goes, oh Lord. I was like, 10 chicken strips, two sides, two biscuits, two drinks, 10 bucks. Say hallelujah, amen, say whatever you want to. She goes, where? I said, Popeye's. And she knows Popeye's, for me, Popeye's is the goat of all chicken strips. I'll argue with you all day. Don't at me. I don't care. You can get your canes, bring it without the sauce, and put it up beside a Popeye's chicken strip, and you're going to realize, dang, this stuff is pretty bad. But anyway, even if you go to Zaxby's or whatever you like, Popeye's is better. I'll digress on that argument. But anyway, I saw this advertisement like, man, and y'all, I'll be honest, I've wanted to go eat there. I actually have Popeye's coupons in my backpack right now. You know, advertisements actually do pull some weight with us. And I want you to think, what's the goal? What's the purpose of an advertisement? I mean, it's supposed to give you information. Yeah, it's supposed to promote something. But ultimately, it's supposed to make people think that they can't live without this product or this service. It's to make people think, man, I need this product in my life or I need this service in my life. Something's missing in my life if I don't have this hair dryer. That's probably a bad joke for me, but I just know my wife. You know, something's missing in my life if I don't get this thing. Something's missing in my life if I don't have these clothes. Or the goal of an advertisement is to make you want something, to make you think that you're missing out. And I want you to hear that again. What Peter is saying is live in such a way that whenever people look at you, they think they're missing out. They don't look at you and, and they don't throw the lie of, man, that person's a hypocrite. Rather, they say, you know what? There's something different about them. You know, they say they're a Christian and they just look different. They live differently. William Barclay, who is a famous scholar, he says this, he says, whether we like it or not, all Christians are an advertisement for Christianity. By their lives, they do one of two things. They either commend it to others or they make people think less of Christ and Christianity. The strongest missionary force in the world is the Christian life. And I want you to think for many of you, you're like, okay, I'm a Christian, but I'm not there yet. I'm not ready to have that label like, hey, go and represent Christ to the world. I'm not ready for that. What you have to understand is whenever you become a follower of Jesus, Jesus says, Matthew 5, 13 and following, he says, you are the salt of the world. You are the light of the world. You are a child of God. You are my people. It's not, hey, you're becoming in this. It's not, hey, I know you just got saved, but let's just stay quiet a little bit. You got a lot of problems. No, it doesn't say that. It says the minute you become a follower of him, you are representing Jesus Christ. I kind of think of it like athletes. You've seen the professional athletes before who say something, and everybody like jumps on them, and they're like, I'm not a role model. And like, look, your, your position as a professional athlete already elevates you in a lot of people's eyes. It's the same way with us. 
If you say you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you represent Jesus. And I want you to think about this. The reputation of Christianity where you live hinges on how Christians represent Christ to the world. Guys, I want you all to think about this. What, what links will you go to to protect your own reputation? I mean, if you hear somebody says something about you that isn't true, how far will you go to set the record straight? I'm just being honest. Maybe it's vanity. I don't know. If somebody says something that's not true about me, I want to go set the record straight. My reputation means a lot to me. I mean, y'all know this. It takes a while to build a reputation. It doesn't take long at all to ruin one. And, you know, we care about our reputation so much that sometimes whenever people know we're doing something wrong, we'll lie just to protect our own reputation. And what Peter wants you to see, what I want you to see is this is what Peter's talking about here is not a reputation of a person. He's talking about the reputation of the people of God. He's talking about the reputation of the people who are supposed to be representatives for God on this earth. Y'all think about how huge that is. How much should we fight for the reputation of Christians to not be hypocrisy, but to people who live different than the world, who people are, uh, as people who are distinctive, as people who live as God is their Lord. This is serious business for all who call themselves Christians. I love this quote by John Piper. I think it hits the nail right on the head. And he says this, the whole duty of the Christian can be summed up in this. You need to feel, think, and act in a way that will make God look as great as he really is. I love this. Be a telescope for the world of the infinite starry wealth of the glory of God. In other words, whenever people look at you, they should see something of who he is. This should radically change the way that we live. Whenever we recognize that wherever you and I go, the way we live as followers of Christ puts the reputation of Christianity and Christ on the line. Now hear me clearly. I'm not going to say by you living wrongly, Christianity is going down. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the reputation. Once again, I'll go back to the original story. All it takes is one person to say I'm a Christian and live completely opposite than who they say they are for someone to go, you know what, if that's what Christianity is about, I don't want to have any part in it. Y'all, the consequences of claiming one thing while living another go much further than you. There's a massive ripple effect. And so what I think Peter wants to say next is this. As an advertisement, you do one of two things. You either draw people closer or you push them further away from Christ. As an advertisement for him, you either draw people closer or you push them further away from Christ. I talked earlier about advertisements. And if you ever see something that you like, let's just say that you're on Instagram or if you're on Amazon, I like to get on Amazon a lot, and you see this product that that is being promoted or being raved about, The first thing I go to, I'm not going to go and buy something and read it and check it out for myself. I'm going to go look at the reviews. And I think we know how important this is. Literally, you can't go buy a biscuit somewhere without them saying, leave us a good review. I'm like, it's a biscuit. It's good. You put butter on it. I'm so happy. Like, like I mean, everybody wants you to write a review for something. But truthfully, I'm that way. I'm going to check the reviews of something before I go and, and buy something. And what I want you to think of is this, is we represent Christ in this way. As Christians, we somewhat are like a review of Christianity, of does it really work? Does it really change people's lives? Does it really matter if I follow Christ this way or not? Is there anything really distinctive about it? We either represent it and we show people that it changes people's lives 
or we tarnish it by saying it makes no difference. As an advertisement, you either draw people closer or you push them further away from Christ. And what Peter wants to say is you and I should live in such a way that we make Christianity attractive to the world. Once again in verse 12, whenever he says, keep your conduct or your lifestyle among the unbelievers honorable so that when they see you, speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. The word honorable and the word good are both the same word. And what it means is you live a lifestyle that is pleasing. You live a lifestyle that's good. But what it also means is you live a lifestyle that's attractive. You live a lifestyle that draws people in. Titus 2.10, Paul says this. He says, in every way, make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. The way we live should make people want to be like, man, I kind of want to go and, and learn what's different about them. I like to think of it like this. For some reason, as Americans, we are infatuated with British and Australian accents. Am I the only one? I'm not the only one, right? Y'all, so much so, one of my favorite people to listen to is City on a Hill podcast because they're Australian. And I love every time, welcome to City on a Hill podcast. Like, I love it. I'm just like, yes, preach the word to me, baby. Really, like, for something about British accents or something like that, it draws you to them. Y'all know if I've ever been around somebody that has an accent like that, you go up and you're just like, I just want you to talk to me. Ask me a question. No, 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 you're fine. Just go ahead and talk. Like, okay, that's kind of weird. There's something about it that draws us to it, that's attractive about it. And y'all, I want you to think of it in the same way. The way you and I live should make people want to be like, not, oh, come talk to me. <laughs> but it should be like, man, there's something obviously different about you. I kind of want to hang close to you. You're, you're different. You know, I, I noticed that you're involved in a lot of things, but you don't get bogged down in them like a lot of us do. Like something's different about you. To live your lifestyle that's honorable, to show people your good deeds, is to live in such a way that it attracts people to know Jesus. I want you to look again how he ends verse 12. He says, so that they may see your good deeds and do what? And glorify God on the day of visitation. You know, the goal of you and I living a Christian life, the goal of you and I living out and living good and having good deeds and living honorable lives out where people can see is not so people can look at us and go, man, they're such a good Christian. Oh, man, they're such a role model. Oh, man, they are so great. Oh, I just wish I could. It's not about us. He says it right here. The goal is that they may glorify God. You know, what he says here is, is, is huge. That they may glorify God. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This, the day of visitation is widely debated amongst scholars. I read plenty about it this week, and I came to the conclusion that it really doesn't matter when the day of visitation is. But what it is saying is the same, whatever you think that is. People will see your good deeds, and they will come to know Jesus because of the witness that they've seen in you. You'll attract somebody and say, you know what, maybe I will come and listen at church this week. Maybe I will come in here. Maybe I'll ask you about your life and you get an opportunity to share Christ with them or the gospel with them. This is one of the reasons that Paul, whenever he talks about the way he does evangelism, he says, I become all things to all people in order that I might win some. I want people to see my life and say, man, what's different? And I want to have the opportunity to share and tell them what's different or invite them to church or have them be somewhere where they can come to know Jesus. You know, I don't know what it is about us, but we have in some ways, mainly I guess it's girls, a type of infatuation with setting people up. There's something about playing matchmaker. Like if you, 
I'm not going to say if you want to date anybody, that would be kind of weird. But my wife is like a supreme matchmaker. She like finds people and she makes them work. She talks to guys that literally have no emotion and they leave going to ask a girl on the date. I don't even understand how that works. But as of late, I've been accused of this. But there is something about setting people up that actually is kind of fun, right? And for some reason, we take some weird pride in this. Like if two people are dating, you kind of parade around. You're like, you know who introduced them to? Right here, right? Like you want people to know. Like he was just walking by, I kind of elbowed him, he fell into her, love, you know, like, like I'm the reason, it's because of me. Y'all know I'm being serious though, like we take some weird pride in being able to say, I'm the reason these two even started talking, or I'm the one who introduced them, or I'm the one whatever. And what I want you to see is that this is the type of life that Peter is talking about. A life where you can have pride, not in the wrong way, pride in God and who he is because you can say, I'm living in such a way that I'm matchmaking. I'm saying, look, I see something's missing in your life. And you know what? I know the remedy because it happened to me. You live in such a way that people go, okay, what? I'm, I'm going to listen to you whenever you invite me to church because something's different about you. I'm going to listen to you whenever you invite me to a small group or to Bible study or whenever you talk to me. Something is different about you and you help people see their greatest need is Jesus. The ultimate goal of living different than the world and living lifestyles that mirror him is so that you'll bring glory to God. And, you know, I'm telling you, there's going to be nothing better than one day whenever you get to heaven. If you look around and you see people there who go, I remember you. You might not even know this, but I saw the way that you lived. And you changed my mind about what I believed about Christians. I saw the way that you lived. I saw the way that you talked to them. I saw the way that you acted. And it changed a lot for me. And so I think that's the things that, that, or not I think, that is what Peter is trying to say here. You are an advertisement for Christ, telling people what Christianity is all about, what following Christ is all about. As an advertisement, you are not neutral. You are doing one or the other. You're either lifting and elevating what people believe about Christianity and Christ, or you're tarnishing it. You're suppressing it. And so coming back to the original question I asked to start the night is, does your life bring glory to God? Does your life bring glory to God? And back to the two questions. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, the first question again is this. Do you represent Christ correctly? Y'all, this is huge. If you say you are a follower of Jesus, do you represent Christ correctly? I want you to think of it like this. If the reputation, if the reputation of Christianity and Christ was on your shoulders, what would people believe about him? Now, once again, the weight isn't all on you, but what if it were? What would people believe Christianity is all about? What would people see? What would people think about following Christ? And ultimately, again, remember this word that Peter is coming to is your lifestyle should speak volumes. Not just what you do on a Sunday or a Wednesday. Your lifestyle, your total way of life speaks volumes about who you are and who you serve and who you love and what your life is about. And in the same way, Peter gives directives for how they can go and change the lies that were being told about them. How can you change the lies of hypocrisy that are being told about Christianity? You have to ask the question of yourself. You know, people say Christians, they don't love other people. Well, my question for you, if you say you're a follower of Jesus, is do you? Love is the distinctive mark of the follower of Jesus. Do you love people? People will say that that, that Christians say one thing and they do another. 
Do you? It's impossible to have any sort of assurance in your walk with Jesus Christ if you're not obeying God. If you're not seeking to live for him. That's the idea of being a follower of Jesus. Being a child of God is your life is about living for him, acting like him, living like him. Once again, what Piper said earlier, it's what you say, what you think, what you feel, how you act. All of it is a telescope to show people what you believe about God. That doesn't mean you're perfect. But are you seeking to obey God? Are you not saying one thing while doing another? People will say Christians condemn and talk down to people. Once again, do you? You'll see this in a few weeks, but pride is something that God is in complete opposition against. Whenever we act out of pride, we're acting what started all this in the first place with Adam and Eve. And pride is the exact opposite of the character of God, what he has for us, is being prideful. People say about Christians, they don't live any different than me. And I'm going to spend some time here. They don't live any different than I do. They don't look any different than me. They don't look any different than all the people who say that they aren't Christians. All of us say that we're Christians. I mean, we live different than those other people over there, but we don't live any different than each other. Or the non-believer says they don't live any different than me. Do you? On a smaller scale, I want to ask about this. Peter talks about both big and small things throughout his letter. It could be something that you may see as small. Do you cheat? doesn't matter if it's a lot. doesn't matter if it's a little. It's do you. Do you have integrity? It's do you lie? It doesn't matter if you lie a lot or you tell big lies or if you tell little lies or, or you're deceitful. Do you? You're not representing Christ in that. Do you slander other people? Maybe it's a little bit. Maybe it's a lot of bit. Maybe you just tell some things about other people. Maybe you just spread false things about some people. Do you? This speaks about you. And what I want you to see tonight is is one of the things that Peter writes in this whole letter, one of the main things he focuses on is you cannot blend in with the world around you. If there's one thing, let this not be said of me, is that they don't live any different than I do. It's the number one reason why people don't think they need Christ, is they look at other people who call themselves Christians, and they say, they don't live any different than me. I grew up in a church Well, honestly, there were a lot of people that lived for Christ, but I was confused a lot because a lot of older people were deacons or were Sunday school teachers or were all these things. And I looked at their life and I was like, man, this is a Sunday and Wednesday thing for them. I guess that's what Christianity is about. I know people who I've talked to who grew up in the same area as me. They're like, America went to the same church. We know the people that sang on Sunday. We know what they were doing Friday. It's the number one reason people give a stiff arm to Jesus and say, you know what? I don't really need that. Y'all, Peter touches on this all over his letter, but I want to specifically show you one thing he says in 1 Peter 4. Look at verses 2 through 5. First Peter 4, 2 through 5, he says this. He tells them, basically, he's saying, if, if you are in Christ, live for the rest of the time in the flesh. In other words, as long as you are on earth, live for the rest of the time on earth, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. No longer live for human passions. That sounds really familiar. If you were here last week, that's verse 11. 
He's repeating it again, which he repeated it, in, or he said it in chapter 1, repeated it in 2.11 as the turning point of the letter. He's repeating it again here. And he's saying, you must no longer live for the passions of the flesh. They wage war on your soul, but they make a difference on how people see Christ. Look at what he says next. Verse 3, he says, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the unbelievers want to do. Basically saying this, most of the people that Peter's writing to weren't raised in a Christian home. They weren't raised in an area where they were living for Jesus from the beginning. They weren't raised in a moral family where they didn't have freedom until they got to college. They were raised in a pagan society, which in a pagan society was about two things. Your pleasure, getting your pleasure through some means of sex or getting your pleasure through some means of substance abuse, whatever that might look like. And what he's saying, he's saying your past, what you've already done suffices for that life. And what I would say to you, even if you don't have the bad testimony of the bad story, this should still not be a mark of your life if you're a follower of Jesus. He says, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. And look at his specifics, living in sensuality, living in passions, living in drunkenness, living in orgies, living at drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. And look at what he says, with respect to this, People will be surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they will malign you or they will say things to hurt you or they will jab at you for being holier than holy or whatever they might say. And then he says, but they will give account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. Y'all want you to see, Peter calls out specific sins. He's talked about sinful desires over and over and over. But whenever he chooses to talk about, you have got to put your old ways behind you. You have got to put the ways of the culture behind you. He speaks of things that are pretty obvious for us. Whenever he says the word orgies, orgies is a raving party where the goal there is to leave or to be there and have sex. That's the goal. I can remember being an intern at the BCM after I became a believer. I was reading this in my quiet time, and I read drinking parties, and I started blinking. I was like, wait a minute. Something's not right about this. This must be like some scribble error or something like that. I've never heard this before. I've been in church my whole life. I can't go to a drinking party. Is that what this is saying? And so for me, I was like, I'm going to dig into this a little bit more. And I remember I got on my computer, and I actually had a software there that helped me understand more about Scripture. And, and you go to the Greek, and the Greek word actually doesn't say drinking parties. It says the word carousing. Which if you're like me, that did me no good. I'm like, okay, well, what the heck does that even mean? And carousing means this. It means you're at a party where one of the primary functions there is to drink. It means you're somewhere where one of the main goals of being there is to drink alcohol. And I know for some of you, the first siren that might run off is this idea of there we go with legalism again. Whatever happened to being in the world, whatever happened to be around the people who are lost. I think D.L. Moody says it best. He says, a ship belongs in the water, but if water gets into the ship, what happens to it? It sinks. And guys, what I want you to understand is there is a certain place where as followers of Jesus, you do not need to be. And I could argue for you why. I could tell you all the ideas, but I'm going to tell you a story. I remember before I became a believer, this was a time in my life whenever I would have claimed Christianity no matter what. Because I grew up around it. I'd been about it. I was a Sunday guy. I was a Wednesday guy. I tried to read my Bible some. I tried to pray. But if I'm honest, I lived mainly the way that I wanted to. My lifestyle was struggling. 
And I'll never forget, I went to the bar one night. It was called Three Docks back then. It's just a liquor store now. I'll never forget, I walked in and I went in there and I went and I sat at the bar. And there were some people beside me that were talking. And I remember I heard one of them make a jab at Christianity. And who was there? Who was the shining knight in my mind? I'm like, oh, somebody's talking bad about this? I'm going to lift it up. And so I engage with this girl about Christianity and about what Christianity is about and about what Christ is about. And we went at it for a little while. I really don't remember. And then I remember that night being fairly normal for me. I didn't do anything crazy. I drank a little bit. I danced a little bit. I played pool a little bit. I did whatever a little bit. And then whenever I went to leave, I'll never forget. She came and she grabbed my shirt. And I promise as long as I live, I'll never forget it. She said, you want to know why I don't believe in Christ? It's because of people like you. Who you say one thing, but you're no different than me. And, you I can remember leaving that night, and I couldn't sleep. And I had to convince myself she's lying. That's not true. I am different than you. But whenever I looked at the flow of my life, I had to see I am no different. Why do I go to a drinking party just so I can represent Christ? That might be what I say, but I went there so I could fulfill my lust, whether it's looking or leaving with someone. Why did I go to a drinking party? Alcohol was never a big deal for me, but I drink. Why would I drink? Because, you know, what? it was socially around people, and I didn't want to be the prude or whatever, but I wanted to be the good Christian guy that was okay with hanging out with groups who didn't necessarily live the Christian lifestyle. And do you know what my life told people? Is what you're doing really isn't that big of a deal. What you're doing really isn't going to lead down the wrong road. And y'all, what I found is after four years of living that, I found myself on my face. Recognizing that what I'd been running after did not satisfy. That who I said I was, maybe I wasn't. It all, a light switch came on whenever one day I had my roommate sit me down and no filter. He said, dude, you're a douchebag. You live two lives. You say one thing over here and you do this. What are you, what are you doing? And I can remember saying, I don't even know. And what I want you to know is this, guys. There are certain places that if you're a follower of Jesus and you're there, you are putting a stamp of approval on what people want to do. And you may not say that, but trust me, I remember being at the bar and being happy whenever I saw my church friends there. You know why? Because that made me feel like I was okay where I was at. It validated me. I can be here and it not be that big of a deal. Maybe I leave with somebody. Maybe I get drunk. I don't know, but, but it's okay that I'm here and I'm telling you. I can remember whenever I became a follower of Christ and I got out of that lifestyle and I tried to talk to people and they just could not understand. Dude, you've been a Christian the whole time. What are you talking about? And I tried to say, you don't understand. It's not just about saying it. It's about God being over your whole life. You don't understand what you're running after. It doesn't fulfill. And many of these people, and I would say most of these people do not listen to me. And they're still in the lifestyle that I used to be in with them. Now, what I want to be clear as well, though, is let's say, just for example, you're in a fraternity, you're in a sorority, you have an exchange, or you have formal or something like that. You're saying, Merrick, I can't even go to stuff like that. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is you need to use wisdom. If I'm going, I'm going to be there, I'm going to hang for a minute, but it's probably not something I'm going to hang out for a long time. The whole thing that I want to challenge you about is not what can I do. It's how can I represent Christ? Guys, a major misconception that I had, and maybe this is you, I thought I was okay. 
And I was a Christian because I did the mission trips. I did the summer mission camps. I did these things. I did the church. But the truth is this. Occasional good deeds don't define you. Your lifestyle does. Occasionally being in church. Occasionally reading the Bible. Occasionally going on a trip. Occasionally this isn't what defines you. Peter says your lifestyle is what speaks volumes to people. And hear me again, y'all. My struggle is I surrounded myself with believers who are like me. Followers of Christ go against the grain of the world. They don't go with it. Living to be like Christ is an indicator that we are alive in him. Charles Spurgeon, one of the best preachers to ever live, he said this, and I think it's profound for this. He said, only things that are alive swim against the current. Dead fish and debris always float downstream. And my question to you is, which are you? Do you float with the ways of the culture? Or do you battle against the current? Battle against the sinful desires within. Battle against the temptations from outside of you. Don't let somebody lie to you and say you have a college experience. There's no such thing. What you do here is going to determine who you're going to be. The best indicator of who you're going to be tomorrow is who you are right now. You don't have a switch inside of you that one day you can just flip it on and say, now I'm going to be the good husband or wife I want to be. Now I want to be the good godly person I want to be. Now I want to be. We don't have that opportunity just to flip the switch whenever we want to. So what are you like? Are you more swimming against the current? Or are you more just floating with the current around you? Lastly, I'll ask this. Y'all, we live in an age where media is king. Maybe it shows that you watch. Maybe it's your social media accounts. Maybe you're like, I don't go out and I don't do all that stuff, but what you watch and what you entertain yourself with is exactly what I'm talking about. You can delight in something and never go to somewhere. You can delight in something and never leave your room. Ask pornography about that. You can be just as dead on the inside with your lifestyle being ruled by other things, even though you never go out to the bar. What do the shows you watch say about you? What does your social media account say about you? What do the posts you like say about you? What do the people you follow say about you? It's your lifestyle. What does your media say about you? And I want to ask you again to remember, you're an advertisement for Christ. Everything you do is an advertisement for what does it look like to follow Jesus? You know, what's neat here is Peter is actually plagiarizing Verse 12, he literally says exactly what Jesus says, Matthew 5, 14 through 16. Whenever Jesus says, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill. And he's saying, go and show your good deeds to the world. Go and be seen by other people so that you can show them who I am. So you can show them how I work. You can show them what I've done in your life. To be a light, to represent Christ well, ultimately means one thing. I could go through all kinds of examples, and that would be exhaustive at some point. But ultimately, it means this. Do you want to live a life that represents Christ well? You have to read this. And you have to store it up in your heart. And you have to seek to live your whole life by it. Not because it's some old book. Not because somebody told you to. But if this is the word of God, hear that phrase. It's the word of God. The same God that created everything, that breathed life into everything. He breathed on this Bible. If these are really are his words, then, geez, shouldn't we follow them? 
Ultimately, to live for him, you got to be about this. And the second thing, and we won't discuss it more because I pretty much said I think all I need to say. Do you represent Christianity correctly? And the second question is, does your life lead others to glorify him? Does your life lead others to glorify God? The way you live should attract people to Jesus. The way you live should make people see there's something different about him. There's something different about her. And you know, I'm going to be honest. Once again, I haven't shared all of my testimony, but whenever I was 22, I gave my life to Jesus because I finally realized it's not what I know that defines me. It's what does my life say? It's easy to say I believe in Jesus. It's easy to say I believe these things. It's very different for my life to say, yep, he believes in them. And whenever I looked at my lifestyle, I didn't know him. And y'all, whenever I realized what Jesus really had done for me, not just said it, Whenever I realized where my sin had taken me, not just said I know I'm a sinner, I recognized, Jesus, I need you. And I realized what, what Peter says here. First Peter in chapter 2, 24 through 25, he says this. He says, he, talking about Christ, Christ himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, meaning the cross, in order that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. What did Jesus do to prove how much he loved us? What did Jesus do? Not to just say, I love you, but to prove it. Jesus came and took on everything on his back, not worrying about his reputation as the son of God. And guys, hear me, whenever you really see what Jesus did for you, you cannot continue to live in your old ways. You may go back every once in a while, but it should eat you alive. I'm not saying you should just feel guilty. A dog feels guilty when it does something wrong. Guilt doesn't mean anything. I'm saying you should be broken and it should cause you to change if you know Jesus. I still sin. I still struggle with it. But my sin does something different in me because I've recognized what Jesus did for me. My sin is what put him on the cross in the first place. And that's what he did for us. How would I live in such a way that would tarnish what he has done? Guys, whenever you understand the good news of Jesus, yeah, we're sinners. You don't believe that? Do your best to be as good as you possibly can. You'll recognize sooner or later. We're sinners, but God did something about it so that we could die to sin and live in righteousness. Some of you tonight are hurting and you're struggling. By his wounds, you have been healed. The gospel is the remedy for any brokenness in your soul. The gospel is the remedy for any lifestyle that you have lived. There's no one too far gone for him. Matter of fact, he knows everything about you and he chose to die for you anyway. Do you know Jesus? Will you give your life to him? And if you're a follower of Jesus... Do you represent him well? Do people grow closer to him because of what they see in you? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. Thank you, Lord, for your word. God, I thank you for what we see Peter saying here. Boldly, no doubt, whenever the people there heard this, they would have been stunned. But 
But God, the beauty is, is you never call us to do something that you aren't going to help us in, that you aren't going to empower us in. They can live different than the culture because they are yours. They can live different than the people that are around them because they know you. God, they can live different because of what you've done and only because of what you've done. We don't bring anything to the table. God, I pray tonight, I know there has to be people in here who are like me, who've been around it, who know it, but they do not know you and their lifestyle is screaming it. Maybe they hide behind the same things I did. Yeah, I struggle. Yeah, I whatever, but I'm still trying or I'm still doing what I can. But their lifestyle is saying something different. Their lifestyle is saying that while maybe they want to live for you, more than that, they want to live for themselves. God, I pray tonight they surrender to you. They can't do it on their own. And I pray they do it before they get to where I was. Breaking relationships like I did. Leading people down the road like I did. God, help them know you. Lord, I pray for the believers in here that that we recognize the task that's before us. We're not here to make good grades and that's it. We're here to change what people say about what it means to be a Christian. We're here that the blueprint of the Christian life would be shown through our lives, that we would die to ourselves, that we would live for you. God, that we'd follow you in everything. For you and for your glory alone. It's not about our name. Hence why we're the telescope and not the star. God, may people, whenever they come in contact with us, say, I got to make a decision on who I want to be. Ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to ask you as usual. Every time God's word is open, we respond some way or another. And I want to challenge you tonight. How will you respond? For some of you, you know the Spirit's prodding you. You've never said, Jesus, my life is yours. Jesus, I repent, and I want to surrender my life to you. I want to follow you wholeheartedly. And I want to challenge you. I want to beg you tonight to do that. Those other questions I asked, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to think, what ways do I not represent him rightly? And I want you to repent. I want you to think, do people around me, whenever they see me, do they see something attractive that would attract them to want to know Jesus, that would attract them to want to know what's different about me? Maybe tonight you need to stand up and you need to praise God, recognizing he's done a work in your life and it's not because of you. Maybe tonight you need to sit where you're at and you need to repent and say, God, there's some gaps in my life. Maybe tonight you need to say, Lord, I want to give my life to you. We'll have students up at the front on each side. We'll have a student at the back, and I'll be here. If you want to talk, come and talk to us. But whatever you do, respond sitting, standing, coming forward, however you feel led to.